great to be able to share with you today. If you didn't get the chance, do go and listen to Pastor Billy's introduction to this series, Unshakeable, where we're going to be in the letter of 1 Peter. Peter was writing to a group of believers who were scattered and suffering because of their faith. Why? Because there was something different about them. And they were becoming the, the butt of the jokes. They were becoming ridiculed and even rejected because of their faith in Jesus. So Peter writes to say, keep going. He writes to encourage them and to bring them hope, to say, stand firm and keep trusting. Today, we're going to talk about unshakable salvation. And to start with, we're going to read from 1 Peter 1 verse 3 to 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in that last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. As I was reading that passage this week, there were two phrases, two moments that kept jumping out to me. New birth and inheritance. Any of the parents listening will know that birth changes things. Nothing goes back to normal after birth, even normal changes. And many people talk about inheritance as a moment that changes things. Last year, I spoke to a friend of mine who'd struggled with debt for a number of years, and he'd had this sudden, unexpected inheritance. And he said to me, John, it's great because it's not only that my debt has been wiped clean, but because of that, I have this new foundation for now and for the future. Salvation is a bit like that. A debt has been wiped clean that gives a foundation for now and for the future. When P Peter talks about these moments, he's not talking about physical birth or financial windfall. He's talking about salvation. And it starts with new birth. A moment when someone accepts the rescue of God, when they believe and receive the gift of God. When they say, I believe that the Bible says that the old has gone and the new has come. New birth happens when they say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for my sin. And I believe that he rose again from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death so that I can be reconciled to relationship with God. I can be rescued from eternal separation with God, from God to eternal life with God. That is a life changing moment of new birth. I want you to think back to March 2020, the first lockdown. I decided, like many others, I was going to learn a new skill. And I have to put my hands up. I was one of the people in the supermarkets buying flour because I wanted to learn how to bake bread. I enjoyed cooking, but my baking has never been particularly successful. So I was really keen to get everything right. I wanted it to work. So I got my ingredients. I made sure I measured them out correctly. I did some research. I YouTubed how to do it properly. I tried to learn from the common pitfalls and I was ready to make my bread. 
So I got the flour and the water and the some yeast I had in the cupboard and a bit of salt. And I started kneading it together and I kneaded it for 15 minutes, like the recipe said. And then what you do is you let it rest or prove. And it's in the proving stage where the yeast starts to work and transform this dough into something double the size. And so I came back to my bowl expecting to find this massive mound of dough, but nothing had happened. It still looked the same as it had before. So not to be deterred, I thought, well, let's knead it a bit more and let it rest for another time, let it prove for another hour or so. And I came back to it and nothing had happened. And I was like, what is going on here? Anyway, not to be deterred, I put it in the oven and thought miraculously, maybe, if I let it bake, it will grow and it'll be a perfect, beautiful loaf. So I came back to the oven door, ready to find my new, fresh loaf of bread. And what I found was a brick, more like a bread frisbee. It was dense. It was tasteless. It had a funny smell about it. And it was completely inedible. Not to be deterred, I tried again. I did exactly the same thing and followed the recipe and exactly the same thing happened. So I took the counsel of those more experienced than I and they said to me, they said, John, check your yeast. And I thought, I've never heard that advice before. So I went and checked my yeast and I found that my yeast was dead. You see, yeast is the raising agent. Yeast is the thing that takes these mundane, ordinary, everyday, essential ingredients and transforms them into something completely different. When you add the living yeast, the very nature and the state of those ingredients changes. And my limited experience of bread making tells me that if you don't have any yeast, any raising agent, then you end up with a bread that is dense, tasteless and inedible. But if you do have a raising agent that works, then that flour and that water take on new life and become radically different. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is like yeast. It's literally the greatest raising agent of all time. It took normal people who believed that God had actually done this, that Jesus has actually died and that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And then it transforms those normal people, those everyday ordinary people into people who are extra ordinary because the raising agent, the resurrection has had an effect in their lives. These people went on to share Jesus with others. They went on to do things that was beyond their ability to do. They were different and their lives were attractive because the raising agent had had an effect. The resurrection of Jesus meant that they had ex accepted they needed to be born again and they understood they were born into something, a living hope. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We worship a living God. We have a living hope. I love that, that God is not dead. The cross of Jesus kind of looked like the end. But I love this quote from Leslie Newbigin, who says this, the resurrection 
is not the reversal of a defeat, but it's a proclamation of a victory. Resurrection says that death no longer has mastery. Jesus is bigger than death. And in the same way as he rose, Romans 6, 9 to 11 tells us that this also means that even though we were dead to sin, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we can now be alive in Jesus. So we've been rescued from death to life. That's amazing. We don't worship a dead, distant, disinterested God. We worship a God who is living, who's near, who's interested and is close. That is the living hope of Jesus. It was hope for the people Peter was writing to, and I pray it's hope for you today as well. The even better news is this, that that hope is not limited. Peter goes on to say that we're not just saved in a moment. We're not just saved for hope, but we're saved into something, into an inheritance, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, that's kept in heaven for you. Unshakable salvation we have is not just a moment. It's a lifetime of becoming more like Jesus. And it's a promise of eternal life that will never spoil, perish or fade. I love that. Another thing I did in the lockdowns of 2020 was clear out my kitchen cupboards. And I found things that, quite frankly, were beyond their best. I found some dried arrowroot that I'd had for a recipe years ago. I found some lime leaves that weren't leaves anymore. And I found some evaporated milk that I think you'd describe as like vintage. You see, things spoil, things perish and things fade. But the eternal life promised by God as part of our salvation is that those who believe it does not spoil, perish or fade. It's unshakable, it's permanent, it's eternal, it's imperishable. What is this eternal life? Well, I haven't experienced it yet, but from the Bible, I see that we'll be worshipping Jesus around his throne, giving him the praise, the glory and the honour. I see that there'll be no more suffering, no more tears. I see perfect relationship with God restored. That sounds good to me. And God doesn't say you can have that until you mess up. He doesn't say you've got a few chances, but, you know, take it easy because you won't get it. No, the grace of God says that even in this life, even if you mess up, even if you slip, even if you fall, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, that that is for now and for eternity. Because Jesus came to the world not to condemn the world, but to love the world. That the Bible says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. This unshakable salvation, this living hope, is also for right now. Because verse 5 says that we are shielded by God's power. I don't know what you've been going through recently. For many, I think we have to acknowledge that life is a challenge. Maybe unemployment is on your horizon. Maybe you've been asked to shield again in this latest lockdown. Maybe um, you're struggling with relationships or you're struggling with homeschooling your children. I don't know what the trials are. Maybe you're even persecuted for your faith. But I really felt like someone had to hear this today. 
that the arms of God are shielding you with his power between that moment of new birth and that moment of eternal inheritance. Isn't that amazing that the arms of almighty God are shielding you and I? Why is it so necessary to be sure of our unshakable salvation? Verse six, because suffering does happen. Peter says, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I want to say to you, despite what is going on in life, God is still able. God is still powerful. Jesus has still won the victory. He died and he rose again. And that has a massive full stop after it. It does not change. He never will. He does not change. And what Peter is saying, that suffering for those believers, whatever it was, And for you and I today, suffering can actually be a place where our faith does not shrink back, but our faith grows up. You see, this faith that we have in us is so precious. Peter says it's in these moments where it's tested that it's proved genuine. When we have to believe in spite of everything that the gift of salvation and faith I have is more precious than the pressures I'm facing, that whatever comes at me is not going to steal what God has done in me. New birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Having an unshakable faith requires us to live a certain way, to do certain things. But it's not a result of doing things. Take Peter's faith, for example. I'd suggest that his great faith is not because of him. Rather, it's because of everything God has done in him, everything Jesus spoke over him. And he had the vulnerability, the tenacity and the obedience to cling to and pursue everything that Jesus had said. Because Jesus had said to him, I tell you, Peter, And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus didn't speak that over Peter because of his track record, because he was particularly good at building churches or he had some history in that department or he'd done great things before. Now, Jesus spoke that over him and said, I'm going to do the great things through you. And that's why I believe unshakable faith begins with unshakable salvation. Because our salvation is not anything to do with what we have done. Salvation is all about understanding what God has done for us. Setting a desire in our hearts to follow him with everything I am. And then putting into practice in our lives everything that the one who has saved us has asked us and called us to be and do. I kind of figure if he's big enough to defeat death, then he's probably worth coming, following when it comes to living life. Peter understood that living hope should lead to living holy. And he had this zeal that pursued his saviour, that even 30 years after Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension, Peter still called him his living hope. Because what God had done in him 
was greater than anything else. Peter understood and got a glimpse of the enormity of what God had done. And that made him understand that his life had to look different. So if you have salvation, if you have an unshakable salvation, it must have an impact on your life. Can I ask you today, does your salvation impact your life? Peter goes on to share a couple of ways that this looks like in the rest of the chapter. In verse 13, living holy looks like a mind prepared for action. In verse 14, living holy looks like not conforming to evil desires, not going back to the past way of doing things. Living holy looks like being holy, being set apart, verse 15. And living holy looks like, verse 22, loving one another deeply. Does your life look different? Does unshakable salvation have a tangible impact in your life and more so on the lives of people around you? Do they see you and they see living hope? Do they see it shine for every interaction they have with you? Does your salvation and your faith cause people to stop and ask, what's different? If not, what can you start doing or maybe stop doing this year to pursue Jesus more? To say, thank you for saving me. And because of that, I'm going to live my best life for you. Maybe you don't know that salvation today. Why not accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Unshakable salvation is a moment of new birth, a lifetime of living holy and the promise of eternal inheritance.